Thanks for listening to this OCRFM podcast. Head to ocrfm.org.au to find more great content and information about how to donate and support this community radio station. Joining us now on the phone, I have Jan Dale. Welcome to Kakalaki on OCRFM. Thank you very much, Jason. Great to be here. I'm a long-time listener of your show, so this must be something a bit different for you, being on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I really prefer being on the other side. <laughs> yes, I can well understand that. Now, for those of you not familiar with Jan's work, she hosts Southern Style on PBS in Melbourne and has done so for many, many years. How long have you been doing the show at uh, PBS for? This month, it's 20 years. Wow, that makes my um, <laughs> 10 months seem insignificant in a, in a way. <laughs> no. We've all got to start, start somewhere. somewhere. Yep, absolutely we do. Mm. Okay, now earlier this year, you published your book, Chasing Music. Yes, after years and years and yeah. years of writing yes. and giving up and, you know, trying again, finally, it now, came out. Well, and self-published. Yes, it was published through a professional publishing house, but, um, yeah, but I paid to have it done. It's just that it's very hard for an unknown author to be published in this country, and I couldn't be bothered going down that long road. I thought, oh, I've waited so long, I'm just going to do it. Well, it's been well worth the effort. So I'm just going to read the blurb off the back of the book for those uh, listeners that aren't familiar with the book. In 1992, one woman packed up her life, headed to America, and bought herself a little camper van. She hit the open road travelling 160,000 miles across 48 states, discovering bluegrass and Cajun music, attending festivals, honky-tonks and rodeos, dancing and romancing and camping in rather strange places. What started out as an exploration of America, its music, its people, scenery and geography, quickly became a journey of self-discovery. This is her story, and an amazing story it is. What inspired you to go to America in the first place? Uh, well, I used to work in the film industry, actually, in distribution, and I used to go every year on business, uh, and I only went to the capital cities, and I love American music, and I just thought I'd like to get out into the countryside and explore the back roads and discover little festivals and, you know, music from the different regions. So in the end, uh, it seemed the right time. I left my job uh, as you just read out, packed up the house, and I went just for one year, and it ended up being nearly six. There's a, <laughs> there's a, a big difference between one year and six years. It's, I know. It's, uh... it's ridiculous. I came home, of course, I had to leave America every six months because of the visa, uh, and uh, about once a year I came home and worked for a little while, and, uh, you know, two or three months and went back again and I kept the same van barely going yes. over all those years. The uh, number of times the poor van broke down and there was motor oh. replacements and all sorts of things going on but I'll leave that for the uh, readers to discover but um, it certainly kept you on your toes that's for sure. Yes I learned quite a lot about the workings of an air-cooled engine. <laughs> it was a challenge yes. but you know that was part of the journey being challenged. Yes, yes. And you obviously kept well-detailed diaries and uh, there's the photos throughout the book for you to be able to recount your story all these years later. Yes, well, I have been writing it for about 17 years, so, uh, but yes, you're right, I kept a diary every day, quite a detailed diary, and uh, especially in relation to the people I met and the music, so 
I didn't have to recall at all. It was there written down for me. So 17 years, it's t- that's a long time to try and uh, yeah retain all that information. But if it's already written there and the photos serve as a wonderful uh, prompt for the memory? Yes, yes. There's some great photos. Um, you know, one of me dancing with Bill Munro, for yes. example. <laughs> yes, I was going to touch on that later. But seeing that you've mentioned mm-hmm. it, throughout the book, your love of dancing comes through. Do you um, get to dance much these days? No, hardly ever. I really miss it. Of course, I'm not. I'm not a young chickie anymore. Well, I wasn't then either. But <laughs> there's just not the, the time that I was in America was a time of all those um, resurgence of honky tonks uh, and dance floors uh, all over, um, particularly Texas, but uh, all those southern states, Louisiana, and uh, I just was there at the right time, and that's where I really learned how to dance and. Those kinds of things don't really exist here anymore. No. They're not in America. There's nowhere much to go dancing here. No, and particularly now we've been in lockdown for quite some time. But, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I do um, dance around the studio when I'm playing a song <laughs> yes. I really love. Yes, yeah, so I often hear you mention um, that you're putting on a, a song that you, your listeners might be able to dance to. So <laughs> There now, are a few cloggers yes. uh, who love that old-time music, music and, yeah. and listen to my show, and I know they do dance to it. Yes, and I've often seen them at the, the festivals that I've been to here. So, yes, there, there's a few of them around. Now, you got to meet and dance with Bill Munro, the father of Bluegrass. How did that come about? Oh, um, that was in a little... Uh, a little cafe, not just outside of Nashville. It was not very far from where Bill actually lived, and he used to go there. I think it was every Tuesday night, and I heard about that, so I went and introduced myself to him. And um, he gave me a big hug, and I can tell you, he had an incredibly tight grip. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was never going to let me go. He was quite a character, Bill Munro, and uh, and there was a he played there, but also there was another band playing, and so he asked me to dance. So that was pretty exciting. Yes, it would have been for the man well credited for giving us bluegrass. So yes, the father of bluegrass mm-hmm. music. Yes, what a thrill! Yes, I met him a few times, um, but uh, that was the first and yeah. the most um, impressive, I suppose. Yes. Do you think he ever had a realisation or, or of how big bluegrass had become, like it is what started off in America has now spread around the world in varying... Yes, he did. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I be- yes, I'm sure he did, and he was extremely proud of it. Uh, and he was also a man uh, who uh, would not compromise... Uh, he he knew what kind of music that he wanted to play, and it took him a little while to reach mm-hmm. that stage of exactly what how he wanted it to yeah. sound. But over all the years, when a lot of other bluegrass musicians um, had a tough time making a living when rock and roll came in, for example, yes. uh, Bill Munro stuck to his guns and, and did not change his music, did not introduce drums, uh, just kept it in the same style as he'd always played it. So I think that's commendable. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And one of the interesting things I found uh, in the book was not dancing to bluegrass gospel songs as opposed to the African-American gospel music where dancing to that is, is uh, yeah, highly encouraged, almost, right. almost compulsory. <laughs> yes, almost obligatory. Um, yes, now when you're at a bluegrass festival, 
um, in the South in particular, uh, a lot of them are fundamental Christians, and a gospel song is considered sacred, is sacred, and so you would not get up and, I learned really quickly, you would not get up and dance to it, otherwise you would be asked to sit down. And quite a lot of the musicians who uh, wear hats remove their hats when they're going to play a gospel number. The older musicians, probably not so much the younger one these no, days, no. but they, but it is considered fairly serious music. The music, yeah, and removing your hat is a sign of respect, and mm, as they do for when the, whenever the national anthems yeah. played, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about the only time you see cowboys removing Remove their, their hat. hat. Yes, was bluegrass music even on your radar before going over overseas? Yes, it was. I had heard it a little bit in Australia. Um, before that main trip that I went overseas, the one that I cover in the book, um, I had gone to a festival, I think it was in Maryland, that had the Johnson Mountain Boys playing in a little schoolhouse. I didn't know who they were, but I just loved them straight away. And I bought the CD and they all signed it. And I realised much later that they were, you know, a top, top bluegrass nice musician. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, and so I suppose that that was the first time I'd ever heard a really good bluegrass band playing, and it just it just did something to me straight away. It's the music I really love, but yes. I also saw a lot of Cajun bands and fell in love with that. And I had already uh, loved the blues, so the Mississippi Delta was a great place to go. And a lot of those festivals are quite small, and you meet all the musicians. I, I met. Well, you know, Ralph Stanley, uh, lots of, of the top musicians. They, they are very easy to meet. They sort of hang around afterwards um, to meet their fans, and that's really nice. Rhonda Vincent is another. She'll stand in line for an hour after a concert, after she's performed, and sign every uh, autograph that people want her to and uh, stand for every photograph with every fan until they've all gone. I've seen her do that for an hour and always be pleasant. Wow, that's... Well, I suppose that's, you know, their their way of paying back their thanks to uh, the people that are, uh, you know, buying their albums and supporting them and going to the shows and and things like that because they wouldn't be where they are without the the fans. That's right, but not everybody recognises that or gives credit for it, I think. And some of the very big musicians in some musical genres are... they have minders and they sort of disappear very yeah. quickly after the show's over, but it's not the general thing in bluegrass. No, they're uh, they're accessible to the people, and it's people's yes. it's people's music too. It's yes, it is absolutely. Mm. Um, it's uh, of course it had its origins in what we call old time music, old time string bands, and they were basically dancing bands. Yes. Now, the Americans are fascinated with Australians, particularly the Aussie accent. And in the book, you mentioned, I think it was uh, the Poppy Mountain Festival, where uh, your combi van became a um, a tourist focal point in the car park. <laughs> That's right. Yes, the, uh, the, the little tour bus that uh, took people around this huge property, it was, I think, several thousand acres, uh, and... Uh, 
it would stop at various points along the way and when they heard about me they'd stop outside my van and say in this van is a woman all the way from Australia and if I was there I used to hop out and say g'day <laughs> and they loved it. <laughs> I'm sure they would. Oh, it, it's surprising the lack of knowledge of Australia. It's particularly in the southern states it's very insular. They don't uh, the as you mentioned in the book, it's, um, they would tell you that, oh, this is the best country in the world, and mm-hmm. why would you want to be anywhere else? That's right. <laughs> and you have to be very diplomatic, of course. Yes. And uh, I mean, I love being there. I don't want to live there. It's not my culture, but I, I love visiting. And uh, I would just say, well, I live in a wonderful country too. I love my country too. A lot of people hadn't really thought about that. They do make an assumption that... Everybody wants to live in America. America, yeah. yeah. Mm, of course, a lot of people do. They're besieged, but yes. uh, not uh, mainly people at the moment who are trying to get in there are people who are uh, refugees or having a difficult time in their own country. And America is the golden land of opportunity in many ways. Yes, yes. And, well, it's given how it's depicted in film and on TV, as it's, yeah. Yes, but the accent used to stop people in their tracks, which was quite surprising at first, but uh, it brought lots of nice things to me. You know, when I was when I was somewhere um, in a club and it was discovered I was Australian, usually the band would then play something for me. I'd have to stand up and be clapped just, <laughs> just for being Australian. <laughs> and people would want to buy me drinks. <laughs> Well, that's can, that can be a good thing on some some occasions. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. One travelling alone, of course, as a woman, I have to be very careful. Yeah, about absolutely. Things like that, yeah. but it was good fun, and I got invited to all kinds of things. Some of which I went to and met lots and lots of people. They're very friendly. Yes. The Americans. Um, they were very very generous and kind. I found. Yes, it was very amazing what you were able to achieve. I mean, as you mentioned, being. A single female driving around around America, one hundred and sixty thousand miles, <laughs> and and on on and on a shoe shoestring budget. Yeah, that's right. I I uh, I camped in weird places. Yes, as, I, as you read on from the back yes, of the book. There is <laughs> hotel um, car parks and and supermarket car parks and truck stops. There was, but I never had a problem. No, there, well, there's one one uh, part in the book there where I think you woke up to the sound of sirens and everything like that, only to discover that you had parked next door to a jail. <laughs> that was at a bluegrass festival. That was in Owensboro in Kentucky, where the International Bluegrass Music Association hold their annual convention. That was the first one, I think, that I'd ever been to. Uh, and I thought, of course, I couldn't afford to stay in the hotel, so I parked in their car park. But I, well, I didn't. It was right next to a jail. <laughs> <laughs> I, I moved a little closer to the hotel uh, when I realised, and the, all the sirens and the police were around because someone had set fire to the jail, and, and my vehicle was in the middle of all this pandemonium. <laughs> it was. I didn't move. And I was move. sleeping in it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that'd certainly wake you up in a hurry. It did. Oh, yes, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I found that um, I usually didn't tell people, I was very careful who I told that I was sleeping in the van mm. uh, when I was at these events, uh, that 
that weren't actually um, camping events, you know. Yes. Um, but when people that I got to know found that out, I was offered showers in their rooms and people wanted to give me food. That, yes. <laughs> it was wonderful. I think it might have been at that festival where you mentioned that uh, someone had an extra key pass to their room so that they oh. gave that to lent that to you so you could have make use of the shower and whatnot. And uh, his wife turned up a couple of days later to find um, another lady's clothing hanging in his wardrobe. <laughs> Well, the, we, we should explain that, that the, the reason the clothing was hanging in the wardrobe was, was the day of the award show, and uh, I'd been told, look, you know, if you want to iron your clothes and so on, um, do so, I'll be, I won't be there all day. So I used my key to go in and do that and hung them in the wardrobe. As you would, you don't want them <laughs> I creased. I didn't know his wife was coming. <laughs> I, they chased me all around the exhibition room looking for me, uh, he, he with his wife in tow, uh, saying, explain to her, please explain to her, <laughs> she doesn't believe me. <laughs> yes, I could uh, could well imagine the uh, yes, the surprise for the wife to, uh, yes. Yes, it's but very... would you think he was so silly if he let it yeah. happen, if he really yeah. was, um, you yeah. know, having someone stay in the room? Room, yes. <laughs> Maybe he was. Oh, well, goodness me. Congratulations on the book, Jan. It's certainly, I've certainly enjoyed reading it, and it is a wonderful story, not just focusing on the music, but the uh, the characters along the way, the, the geography, and uh, the mechanical challenges of your combi van. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jason. It's been fun speaking to you. Okay. Before we go, um, Jan, can you tell us where we can get a copy of Chasing Music? I got mine locally at our local bookstore here in town. Um, where, That's great. Where yes. else can uh, our listeners get a copy? Right, they can try through their local bookstore who will get it in for them uh, and they can try all the major online sites like Booktopia, Amazon, or just major online sites. Yep, excellent. Or the local bookstore will get it in for you. Yes, yes, I had no trouble at all uh, with my local bookstore getting it. So thank you for joining me on OCRFM. Thank you.